0: May it please the court, counsel, members of the jury. His name was George Perry Floyd, Jr., and he was born on October 14, 1973, in Fayetteville, North Carolina.
1: His parents, George Floyd, Hey, Sr. y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week, black trauma in the media and creating black joy. All right, let's start the show.
2: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. So this week saw an end to the trial of Derek Chauvin for the death of George Floyd. We haven't talked too, too much on this show about that trial. And there was a reason for that. It just felt like we might be rehashing the trial that we all were bombarded with non-stop over the last few weeks. And, if I'm being honest, a lot of times I didn't know what to say. And it hurt to talk about it and think about it and relive that video and George Floyd's death. But this week, we are talking about that video. And a lot of other videos, too. When the verdict in the Chauvin trial came on Tuesday, it felt momentous, a big change. Then, on the same day, another
1: shooting. Protests in Columbus, Ohio, the scene of another deadly police shooting. This happened minutes before the verdict was handed down in the Derek Chauvin trial. And the victim here is a 16-year-old girl. Another
2: black family traumatized, another graphic video, for the internet.
1: But in the graphic body camera video of the incident, it shows a very chaotic scene. There
2: are so many videos for the internet.
1: America's
3: largest police force is facing a serious controversy over a video that's
0: gone viral, showing officers arresting a suspect who later died. The video is
2: wrenching.
1: I do want to warn you, this is very disturbing. This video- I want
2: you to sit down and watch this uh, because it is shocking. It's shocking dash cam videos. Been-
1: we want to warn you, what you're about
4: to see is disturbing.
2: On the one hand, these kind of images, they are important and necessary. They document violence for those who would not believe that this stuff actually happens every day. I mean, without the video of George Floyd, would there have even been a trial to begin with? But these videos hurt. And over the course of this trial, and honestly since last summer, if not before then, I've been thinking about just how much... I am asked to consume black trauma on screen. iPhone screens, TV screens, even movie screens. I wanted to talk with someone who thinks about things like this a lot Eric Deggins. He is NPR's TV critic. We hit up Eric to discuss how we process the must see TV that these police shootings have become. And I also had some questions about an entire TV and movie industry. That sometimes seems to thrive on black pain. You know, I think for me, if I had to offer a review of, in particular, the cable news coverage of this trial, it all felt like must see TV that I couldn't bear to watch. It was too much. And every day when I wanted to try to be informed on the trial as it was proceeding, I could only give myself maybe 10 or 15 minutes of it because it hurt. It just hurt to be living in that moment. And I think it was weird to see parts of my industry, the news media, ask everyone to live in that hurt nonstop for a few weeks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah,
0: but you know what's what was really happening. I mean, I I see it a little differently as a TV critic. It's all there if you can handle it and if you want it. We live in a media universe now, where you can consume this information in the way that you choose. So you don't you, you don't have to turn on CNN and watch it all. And I was constantly advising people not to do that. Do not put it on mm. like a all background day. while you're doing your work at home because you don't realize how that unsettles you. You don't realize how yeah. it agitates you. I mean, they played the video, you know, nine minutes or so in the opening statement. They had a recreation of it. They had the 911 operator talking about it. I mean, you know, they replayed the moments of George Floyd's death multiple times during the testimony. And to say nothing of, you know, the experts sort of dissecting exactly when, you know, he lost his breath and exactly when the life went out of his body. So there's no reason why anyone should feel compelled to have that on in the background or yes. watch it all yeah. the time. Well, Just and.
2: I'm glad you brought that up because one of the big things that I want to talk about in this chat with you is these videos are still constantly shared and constantly on loop. And when these stories are trending in the news, the ratings are up. What does it say about us that in spite of knowing how traumatic and painful these videos and images of black people being killed at the hands of police are, we still keep watching and we don't look away? Well, I think,
0: um, I think different people come to these videos for different reasons. I think people want to see their preconceptions about what happened confirmed. And other people want to see if the narrative that's out there about what's being said, they want to debunk it. But I think the thing that's common is that people feel that in viewing the video, they will learn some sort of truth that they can only learn by watching the video. And I think what's happened is we've gotten into this pattern where the only way we can quote-unquote prove that this stuff is happening Mm. is to have an unedited video of it that people can see. Mm. And you can just say, look. That's why the George Floyd video was so much more impactful than other videos that we have seen of other deaths. Mm. Because it was unedited, and it was a passerby. It wasn't even somebody who knew who he was. Mm. They just filmed it. And release it to the public. And so you got a sense that you were getting as close to the objective truth as possible.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I want to pivot away from news media and, and talk about entertainment media and the way that the entertainment that we consume and view is also sharing imagery of black pain and trauma. You know, there's been this discussion going on since George Floyd's death and before about the way that black pain is uh, displayed in the TV and movies that we watch as well. Uh, And there are a couple of TV series that are out now that are full of black suffering. And a lot of folks are already saying, don't do this. Stop doing it. They're drawing a bunch of critique. What are those projects?
0: Um, Well, there is Them, uh, a, a series on Amazon that's out now. That um, takes the travails of a black family that moved into Compton in the 1950s when it was mostly white and draws a, a straight line between the racism that they had to face and a horror story in, in much in the same way that Lovecraft Country did. It's like a mashup of like Lovecraft Country and Us. So uh, so, there's that. That sounds really heavy, Eric. I know. That sounds really heavy. I know, heavy. man. I know, man. It's, it, I mean, I, I have watched um, two and a half episodes of it so far. I have, You know, with shows like this, it takes me a while to get through them sometimes. I, you know, When They See Us, the uh, miniseries on Netflix about the Central Park Five, uh, it took me three tries to get through uh, watching that. Wow. It, because it's hard for wow. me to watch Black Pain. Um, but my as a critic, what I always say is I always ask... Does the storytelling and the story that you're trying to communicate
2: justify the pain that you're showing in terms of looking back on this cluster of projects of the last few years that are showing black trauma, black pain? I mean, even thinking about HBO's Watchmen, was there one of these that just didn't at all get it right? The most egregious, the one where the violence was the least justified to push the story along?
0: See, I wouldn't even get close to finishing something like that. Um, so I, 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 nothing jumps to mind. I feel like Lovecraft and Watchmen justified their use, but it, they were both jarring. They both recreated the Tulsa Race Massacre. And Watchmen in particular recreated the Tulsa Race Massacre in a way that you saw, the. it gave you a glimpse of the full scope of that attack where... You know, planes may have dropped incendiary devices on the, the black district in Tulsa. Uh, and, Would that uh,
2: show have been perceived differently now as opposed to when it came out a few years definitely, ago? Definitely.
0: I think there's a sense out there that there is even less tolerance for depicting black pain because we've been through everything with George Floyd. Lovecraft Country came out the summer after George Floyd's death, so we were just starting to be inundated with that video and the ramifications of it. I think if Lovecraft came out, you know, six months later, people would have had much less tolerance for it and much less of a taste for it. You know, I, I think we're reaching this point. When you think about Game of Thrones, okay, Game mm-hmm. of Thrones took a, a lot of criticism for how it depicted sexual assault against women. yeah, And how it depicted it graphically and how it depicted it in a way that was almost titillating. And the backlash, I'm convinced, um, pushed HBO to stop doing that in other shows. And so I think the industry kind of at some point realized that graphically depicting rape just was not going to be tolerated by the audience that it was trying to reach with these high-quality projects. And so I wonder if we're not going to get to that point with depictions
2: of Black pain. Mm. So... Preparing for this conversation and talking to you right now, I feel like, and I want you to check me on this, I feel like something about our American psyche and our society, there's um, an oftentimes perverse obsession with depictions and portrayals of black pain on screen, and it's in this sad way, it's always been marketable, if not profitable, and I'm betting that if we look back through TV history, we can see it a through line throughout i don't know you know more about tv than i do am i am i right when i go there (laughs) does Um, this feel like i think that's been with us for a long time yeah yeah do you remember roots oh i do Uh, my mother let me watch my mother had my brother and i watch roots when i was like seven and i was like mom you sure you want to do this and
0: she was like you got to see it i watched it with my kids when they were nine and ten wow yeah man and i watched it uh i watched it when i was in the fifth grade i want to say maybe um I just remember walking around being angry at white people. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I yeah. was just so upset with white people um, after I watched that. But uh, so, yeah, it has been with us. I mean, you know, Roots is, is uh, I think, 75, 70 76, something. Yeah. something like that. So, uh, in the Mid-70s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so at least since then. But here's the other. here's the thing again. Here's another way to look at it is that this is how you get white people to care. This is how you get white people to care about black issues is that you wrap them up in stories about black pain and they are dramatic enough to get their attention and get them to think about the ideas that you want to, you know, sort of handle. Yeah, And, and, and so I just feel like we got to get to a point where it's not about constantly opening up the same wounds to get the same attention we got to figure out a way to encourage filmmakers to tell stories that are about black issues and that feature black characters but aren't always centered on the typical kinds of
2: black pain um uh, that fuel yeah. these stories. Well, and it, and it's like I I want to close just by saying to like all of the listeners out there, you're hearing it from Eric and from me. Black people are more than our pain. there are black people in the future and in that future, we sure do hope to not be having to circulate videos of us getting shot. <laughs> Let us live in that future. Yeah.
0: And, and you know beyond being more than our pain, we're also more than just comedy. <laughs> you know, that's, it feels like that's, those are the two things we get from, yeah. from entertainment. We get, we get Kevin Hart or we get you know them them and maybe there's a way there's a that, whole lot more there's a whole lot more in, in the middle there yeah. and yeah I mean I would I would love to see that
2: thanks again to Eric Deggins, TV critic for NPR stay with us listeners when we come back we're going to take a sharp pivot to black joy
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Best Fiends. If you find yourself choosing the longest checkout line, that can only mean one thing. You've downloaded Best Fiends, the five-star rated mobile puzzle game, which means where others see a hassle, all you see is a chance to play one more level a few more times. Turn dull moments into pockets of fun. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. I'm Yoa Shaw.
4: I'm Kia Myakunatis.
1: We're the hosts of the NPR podcast, Invisibilia.
4: You can think of Invisibilia kind of like a sonic blacklight.
1: When you switch us on, you will hear surprising
4: and intimate stories. Stories that help you notice things in your world that maybe you didn't
1: see before. Listen to the Invisibilia podcast from NPR.
2: My next guest came on the show to talk about the newest season of her HBO sketch comedy series, it's going to be a fun chat. But we take this interview right as the verdict in the Derek Chauvin case was set to come down. Like, in the hour they said that we'd hear. So there was no way that we could avoid discussing that and how hard these last few weeks have been. What's so hurtful to me is how long it took for black America to get the rest of everybody else to catch up and see how bad it is. I'm very angry that it took this long and this much grotesque suffering for this reality to be seen. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, it's really, when you think about it, a little bit gross, because I've definitely seen people tweet like, well, I didn't know this was this big of a problem, and now that I've seen this case, and this case, and this case, and this case. And when you think about that, it's like, oh, that meant that there was a number of people that it took you to feel empathy. You kind of have to ask yourself, where are my empathy levels that it didn't take just one for me to be like, this isn't right.
2: That is Ashley Nicole Black. Her show on HBO, it's called A Black Lady Sketch Show. And it is exactly that. A comedic sketch show in which just about every face you see, every voice you hear, is a black woman. A Black Lady Sketch Show is out with its second season this weekend. I got to watch a bit, and I got to say, it offers a nice alternative to all the black pain and trauma we've all been seeing nonstop recently in the news. I was able to watch the first two episodes before this interview, and I was was thinking the same thing that I was thinking when I watched Eric Andre's Bad Trip. And that movie and this show are these two wonderful instances of just unmitigated unbridled black joy black absurdity black comedy I don't have to think about trauma I don't have to like get caught up in anything that feels too stressful it's just joy so it it meant a lot more to me than I thought it would is what I'm saying
3: <laughs> thank you I think that's also how we as a people have survived for this long is that we do find joy and art and beauty in a lot of difficult things like I personally and I'm sure a lot of people can relate a joke that someone tells at a funeral you will laugh harder than <laughs> you yeah. will any other joke and so I think part of what can be radical about sketch is that it allows for um so much change to play so many different characters to go to so many different environments to see one performer one cast in so many different lights which is just what the nature of sketch is but then when we are doing it as black women it does become radical because we're so used to seeing black women in one light which is often connected to suffering unfortunately yeah or even
2: just seeing black women in spaces doing things you don't usually see like there's one sketch from season one which I really love. It's Black Lady Courtroom. What
4: in the baby hair? It's a black lady courtroom. (laughs) Black lady courtroom. Black Black lady lady courtroom
2: courtroom. You've got a courtroom with the judge and a jury and lawyers and defendants and prosecution and a bailiff and they're all black women and it is this celebration in the first season all these black women excited to see this thing that they have not seen before and it becomes a party you brought it back in season two what makes y'all hold on to that sketch
3: that was probably the number one sketch that people responded to on twitter on instagram Hmm. we got so many beautiful pictures of people being like black lady surgical suite black lady dentist office like wherever that was happening in real life people were yeah. taking their picture and send it to us that's so awesome. we couldn't yeah we could not come back and not go back to that because we just have to honor those fans who were telling us how much that sketch meant to them and to me that's like such a classic sketch because when i wrote it a lot of times i just like try to think of a very small moment in life And try to think, okay, how could you blow this out to its biggest, you know, comedic conclusion? And that moment where you look across the room and make eye contact at another black woman and you're happy that she's there, but you don't necessarily feel like you could say that out loud and you guys just have that little silent look. I just wanted to blow that out comedically as much as possible. But then seeing the audience response, it was like, oh, yeah, they have that moment, too. And it's relatable to them. And that's why they love that sketch that much. And, of course, coming out of quarantine, everyone wants to have a lot more of those moments, right? Where you're yeah. just, just seeing people is exciting right
2: yeah. now. Yeah. Black lady aftertimes. That's what we want. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so when we talked last, you were working on Samantha B's show. Um. Wow which has a team more diverse than most late night shows, but like it wasn't all black when you were there. What is the biggest shift in just your work day, day to day working with and in a team as black as the one that you're on now versus I don't know any other team?
3: Yeah. Two big things. Um, From a writing standpoint, you just have to explain yourself a lot less and so when i got into an all black woman room and actually the first sketch that i pitched on the very first day was that patty labelle sketch so many times said it was for oh my god patty labelle
2: is in your house
3: i know I all every time do. i get dumped here comes patty labelle with all her octaves Something. I started my pitch. You know Patty Labelle, I mean, and in that room, everybody knows Patty Labelle. Knows you don't Patty. have to do yeah, yeah. You don't have to do that work. How does and that then feel? It feel. I mean, I just had extra energy left over. It felt <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then as an actor, the biggest thing, and a lot of black actors, particularly women, talk about this. It's just being able to walk in the hair and makeup trailer and know that the person in there knows how to do your hair and makeup.
2: Yeah. having experienced both kinds of workspaces. Some that are all black or close to all black and those that aren't, what might you recommend folks working in spaces that aren't all black or aren't all women do to make those spaces better for black people than for women? Oh, black women.
3: That's a great question. Um, uh, a big thing and a small thing. A small thing in comedy, mm-hmm. comedy can be really competitive because everyone's trying to get their yeah. joke in. And I notice that yeah. once you get above 50% women, it's much less competitive. And women are much huh. more likely to be like, her joke is better. Take that one. Um, and that is just a more pleasant experience. Okay. And then on a bigger level, I think people need to reduce their defensiveness around race. I think a lot of times in mm. the room, you know, you're having these conversation about a story and you might say something like, oh, well, maybe we don't want to represent this character that way. Or um, I know that you're just like innocently pitching this, but this is kind of a trope about black people and, and maybe we don't want to do that. And I think the natural response to that for a lot of white people is to immediately be defensive and be like, you call me racist and I'm not. I mean, Sharon Osborne is doing the I'm not racist tour right now, you know, and I think that if you can just when that feeling comes up, take a deep breath and stop that moment, if you choose to indulge your defensiveness and shut that person down. You could shut that creativity down in the room. You could be setting yourself up for a month of long, quiet days <laughs> as opposed to, you know, just take a deep breath and be like, oh, that's hard for me to hear. But thank you for telling me, you know what, I'm going to sleep on that and let's talk about it tomorrow and just um, not immediately respond with that defensiveness.
2: Yeah. As a great Tyra Banks said, learn something
3: from this. <laughs> we were rooting for you. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: yes. All right. More with Ashley Nicole Black in just a minute. And uh, listeners, if you want to watch a longer version of this chat and see me and Ashley talking to each other, just head over to NPR's YouTube page, youtube.com slash NPR. All right. Coming up, another very special black lady sketch show comedian joins us. Stay with us. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message come from Minnie Cooper, who wants to make sure that any you get in your car, it feels like the best part of your week.
1: Many designers know that it's the unique touches, from iconic racing stripes to Union Jack taillights that bring real fun and excitement. That's why Mini owners can customize so much more than just the color of their car. They can tailor the design of the seats, the steering wheel, and even the interior, all to support the idea that no two Mini should be alike
3: and there are lots of mini owners who take it even further so don't be surprised if you see a mini in leopard print or one with butterfly doors
2: there are many out there with truck beds surfboard racks and even one with snow tracks to drive on the ice in antarctica
1: because just like no two mini are alike no two mini drivers are alike but they're all pretty good together steer over to miniusa.com to explore the full 2022 lineup
2: Are you an audacious entrepreneur with a world-changing idea? Then join us this May for the virtual How I Built This Summit hosted by me. We'll have interviews with some of the best-known entrepreneurs out there. We'll offer community-building sessions to meet other creative thinkers like you. Thanks to GoDaddy, the presenting sponsor of the How I Built This Summit. For more information, head to summit.npr.org. All right, it's game time. And this week, I am joined by two amazing contestants who happen to work together. I'm going to let both of you introduce yourselves to our listeners. Tell folks who you are.
4: Oh, I was going to let Ashley go first because she's in alphabetical (laughs) order, but (laughs) (laughs) hi. My name is Gabrielle Dennis. Um,
3: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And I am Ashley Nicole Black. Hi, guys. We're both very,
4: very, very proud members of a Black Lady Sketch Show. It is a joyride for
2: sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So... I want to play a game with the two of you. This game is called, Who Said That?
4: Who said that,
3: who said that?
2: It's very simple. I uh, share a few quotes from the week and you have to guess who said it. Uh, There are no buzzers.
3: Oh, we're competing? (laughs) I was thinking- A little bit. That's so funny. I was thinking, we're gonna be a great team because (laughs) I know the news and she knows the pop culture, but never mind, we're competing. You're going down, Gabrielle. (laughs)
2: I love how you just switched just like that.
4: (laughs) Ashley plays no games, and I accept the challenge, even though I don't really have that much confidence in my pop culture these days.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, here is the first quote. Tell me who said it. I am very outspoken about the things that I believe in. I understand that sometimes my messaging can lose its meaning when I get emotional. I am human. Ooh. This is a celebrity singer who got in trouble for some stuff she said about yogurt.
3: Oh, Demi Demi Lovato. Lovato.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So
2: tell folks what happened with this. It's kind of bonkers.
4: The thing is, I didn't really know exactly what happened. I'm a headline reader, so I remember <laughs> it just being something about Froyo. She refuses to do something about Froyo, and I was like,
3: okay, girl, live your life. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. I saw the headline. I was like, Demi's mad at yogurt. I was like, I can't get into this. There's other things going on.
2: Demi's <laughs> <laughs> mad at yogurt. Yes.
3: It was one of those stories where you were like,
2: What? Huh? Why? Um, So that quote comes from singer-activist Demi Lovato, and she got in trouble because on her Instagram last weekend, she posted these stories criticizing this random small business called The Big Chill because they were promoting sugar-free cookies and other diet foods. And Demi said that perpetuates a society that not only enables but praises disordered eating. And everyone was like, "Mm, that ain't it.
3: Yeah. I mean, there are bigger targets. (laughs) There are much bigger targets. I feel like she might have been hangry that day.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that was. Well, and so I'm just like, we can have a lot of conversations about how our culture around food is bad and perhaps broken. But can we leave yogurt? Out of it? They ain't never hurt nobody. Yoga's <laughs> just out here trying to give us the probiotics, man. Chill, Demi. This just ain't for you. Let it go. In fact, big chill, Demi. Big chill. <laughs>
3: hey! Hey!
2: <laughs> I don't know who got that first point. Scout's honor. Tell me who got it.
3: We're going to give it to Gabrielle because she had the best joke. That's how we afford points on Black Lady <laughs> Sketch <Scott's> show. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter who's yes. right. It matters who's funniest. I like
2: that. All right. Here's the next quote. This one, uh, tell me what we're talking about. The quote is, it's very possible that we're into a new denim cycle. What's that new cycle?
4: Jeans? I don't understand.
2: Jeans, uh, a new style of denim. There was a certain style that like the millennials used to wear.
4: Everybody's comfortable now, like big, loose jeans.
2: Yes, that's it. Skinny jeans are out. Loose jeans are in. Y'all got it. Um, That quote actually came from a New York Times trend piece all about the fall of skinny jeans. That quote came from Chip Berg talking to the New York Times. He's the chief executive of Levi's. And this whole piece was all about how very loose jeans are in. And skinny jeans are out, and it's a generational thing.
3: Well, I think our gynecologists will be happy about this trend because the skinny jeans were not the healthiest options.
2: (laughs) Okay, so one of you is on board. (laughs) What about the other contestant? Are you down with the big jeans?
4: Oh, I'm down with the big jeans. I mean, I'm down with everything big, loose, and comfortable. That's been the vibe all pandemic because, hello, um, who are we trying to impress?
2: Come on. Come on.
3: Who got that point? I
2: think we both did. Oh, these, these collaborative colleagues. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, let's say that this last one is the actual tiebreaker. <clears throat> and it is... Um, I'm laughing before I even start. I'm going to read what this like inspirational sign actually reads. And you got to tell me what they were trying to say on the inspirational sign. The sign read, She be so. She lev she could ed did.
3: She be so. <laughs> say it again.
2: Yes. She be so. She lev she could ed did.
3: I don't know. And I used to be a writing teacher. I pride myself on being able to find meaning in the p- most poorly written thing. And I do not know what that is trying to say.
4: <laughs> it sounds like a popular <laughs> saying, but chopped up.
2: Okay, so it is, so, it, so it has been broken up. It's a quote that should read a certain way, but the way that it was put on the poster board signage, it's broken up and confusing. I actually want to see if someone from my team can chat a link to the tweet.
3: Oh, my gosh.
2: <laughs> you see it?
3: Yes. She believed so she could. Wait, she believed she could, <laughs> so she did. Wow. And somebody really thought they were doing something with this.
2: It's so bad. Every time I look
3: at it, I start laughing all over again.
2: How do we describe this for people that cannot see this sign? Ashley, take a crack at it.
3: It's those signs. You know when you go to somebody's house and the person who cuts their children's snacks into stars and heart shapes. And then when you go to her house, she has a bunch of inspirational signs all over her walls. It's one of those signs. Live,
4: love, laugh. All in like separate um what is the thing that's called it goes on the
3: a triptych it's a triptych but they broke it up in all the wrong places of all the places you could have broken it up they made the wrong choice every time
2: who thought this was a good idea
3: is this for sale on etsy or something
2: it's in the etsy font (laughs) (laughs) so on that note i'm going to let someone else declare the winner of this game because i really was doing bad at keeping track uh y'all can actually pick who do you want to win
4: i say you won by bringing us the fun and enlightening us with New educational information that we can add to our toolbox of conversations on topics
3: for the week.
2: (laughs) I have never.
3: Is this your first time winning?
2: (laughs) One who said that.
3: Congratulations! Congratulations!
2: (laughs) Thank you, Uh, thank you both uh, for making a new season of a Black Lady Sketch Show. Folks you can watch it this weekend and see and hear my guests and their jokes and their sketches on that show. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it.
3: Thanks Sam. thanks for having me guys.
2: That's Ashley, Nicole black and Gabrielle Dennis. They are two of the black ladies from HBO's black lady sketch show.
1: Now it's time to end the show. As we always do every week, Listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag and they do. Let's hear a few of those submissions.
4: Hi Sam, it's Abby from Olympia, Washington. The best thing that happened to me this week was that my family finally got to meet up with my cousin's family for our delayed beach trip. It was great and a much needed break.
1: Hi Sam, this is Saúl Lopez calling in from just outside of Portland, Oregon. Best thing that happened to me this week is I started a dream job on Monday. While it's not ideal to start a job in the era of COVID, I cannot wait to join my teammates in the office over the next few months.
4: Hey Sam, it's Tracy from Louisville. The best thing that happened to me this week is we found out one of our COVID ECMO patients that had been on ECMO for over 90 days finally got transferred to a rehab facility. We are over the moon. Hey Sam, my name's Rachel, and the best thing that happened to me this week was getting my final approval to become a gestational carrier for a couple who has survived and beaten breast cancer. Hi Sam, best thing that happened to me this week is after six years I continued to get another great checkup at my cancer doctor. In these six years, I've been able to see my son and daughter both graduate from college. And this week, I realized that the wish I made at the Trevi Fountain over 10 years ago was to see them live their dreams was in fact true because they both have thanks so much sam have a great week thanks sam for your show and all that you do we love listening to you have a great week sam
1: thank you love your show all
2: right thanks to all those listeners you heard there nisha rachel tracy saul and abby i want to take a moment right now to share the best part of my week I got uh, my second dose of the coronavirus vaccine, and I'm oh so grateful. Second dose of Moderna. Moderna, the sequel. Kind of knocked me out for a day, but I got to say, folks, it was worth it. I'm thankful for the miracle of science, for all the first responders that got us through this year, and to uh, the doctors and scientists and epidemiologists who make miracles every day. All right, listeners, don't forget you can be a part of this segment, too. To share the best part of your week with the show, just record yourself and send that voice memo to me via email. Our email address is samsanders at npr.org. Samsanders at npr.org. All right, this week It's Been a Minute was produced by Danae West, Andrea Gutierrez, Sylvie Douglas, and Liam McBain. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's Senior VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, till next time, be well, stay safe. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.